Hi, I'm Robert Martin, and this is the Men of Magic Podcast, a one-on-one interview with the best that Magic the Gathering has to offer. Gerard Faviano made a page for you on Facebook saying, gave up more than $20,000 because you cared more about your friends than the pro tour. What does that mean to you? I mean, that's pretty awesome for him to say that, but it's probably more than $20,000, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> we'd, uh, we, you know, when, to me, like, magic has never really been about money, even though at some points I was so poor that the only way I was making money is by doing well at tournaments. But magic's all about kind of like, you know, cheering for your friends and working together and helping each other out. And so me and my friends, we used to do these huge splits, um, you know, like price splits. And uh, a lot of my friends were like, Ant, you're so much better than us. Why are you even splitting with us? I'm like, I don't care about the money. I just, you know, we're all friends. Who cares? And, uh, you know, I even uh, at finals of big tournaments before I even been offered by my opponent, hey, I know you have all, most of your money split away about – you know, you just lose to me and then we won't tell your friends. I'm like, what are you crazy? Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not, I'm only playing to win, not really for the money. <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of nice that, you know, Gerard and many of my other friends actually realized that. Who were some of your best friends on the tour? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. In my early days on the Pro Tour. Yes. Uh, so I started in 2001 playing Pro Tours regularly and I used to, I really didn't really have any American friends. I lived in Florida. A couple of kids would always qualify, but they were not like mainstays on the Pro Tour. You might know like a name like Ben Stark. Oh, uh, I've never heard of him before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like he, you know, he, he was off and on on the Pro Tour. So most of the times I would hang out with some of my Italian friends uh, over the years. Like uh, there's a guy named Andrea Santin. He top aided one or two Pro Tours. Uh, I used to hang out with him. Mario Pascoli, I think he came second at Kuala Lumpur to John Finkel. I used to hang out with them. But then over the years, I started some of my Florida friends just become proto regulars, people like uh, Alex Lieberman and William Polstowith. And uh, basically, them two and Gerard Fabiano were probably my bestest friends on the pro tour. We would always all room together, hang out together, test together. And, you know, it was like a big happy family. There's a lot of things that they talk about on Magic when you guys room together and do all those things that there's kind of this bonding that happens. Can you explain why it works so well in magic when in other aspects of life you can't get that? I mean, just like kind of magic teaches you, like it teaches you like so many, I I don't know, if I ever have kids, I'm just going to teach my kids how to play magic. Yes, magic is a great game, but like being on the Pro Tour just teaches you how to interact with people from different cultures. It teaches you how to, you know, make friends and stay in touch with your friends, you know, even though you live in different states or different countries. It teaches you how to work as a team. It teaches you how to think outside the box. It teaches you how to, you know, when a friend loses because he's a mana screw, it teaches you how to, you know, bring his spirits up. It teaches you how to, you know, be a good loser, not a sore loser. It teaches you, like, you know, ups and downs in life which, like, other things just don't teach you that. And, um, and you know, I've been pretty fortunate to realize pretty early that, you know, to me, magic was something that gave me a possibility to do all these other things. Not really, you know, ooh, play magic, trying to be player of the year, trying to get this level. Like, those were just, to me, like, secondary things. The most important things are just be able to grow as a person and, you know, figure out magic was a good thing in my life, and hopefully that led to other things. And it does, because the people that play Magic 
are like some of the, you know, smartest people you'll ever meet in your life. And, you know, you make connections that will last a lifetime. You know, both of my jobs are basically because of magic. And now, you know, I'm somewhat successful and I have to look back and it was all because of magic. You were U.S. champion. After reading the articles, it meant a lot to you. What was that like? I mean, to me, like I said, I never really played for the money. To me, uh, when I won the U.S. State National Champion, I think I'm, I won $25,000. I got to keep maybe six or seven of it. Uh, to, to me, it was, you know, like just be able to represent America, you know, like at Worlds. It was just, even though I'm not really an American, it was like a great honor. You know, carrying that flag during the flag ceremony, like I never felt so much butterflies. Like even when, you know, probably more, like I felt more butterflies carrying that flag than when I kissed the first girl. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, I wanted to win. And it, it was at a time where, where America wasn't winning for many years. So it's just, I wanted to win. I wanted to show that America, you know, yeah, maybe we were not as good as Japan, but we had some of the best Magic players in the world. And that year in 2005, I really felt that I was probably the best player in the world. And I really wanted to win really badly, even though we lost in the finals. But, you know, uh, it's just... You know, it's about, like, you're playing magic not even for yourself anymore. You're playing magic, you know, for the people at home, and you're playing magic for, you know, for your country. You've written articles on how to make the Pro Tour. Do you enjoy giving back to the game that's given so much to you? Well, I wrote a lot of articles. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll honestly say some of them were not very good. A lot of them were very good. Um, you know, like, to me, you know, I always wanted to teach people what I felt was correct. You know, and there would be times where I would say stuff that, you know, like I remember during Odyssey draft, uh, not many people really knew how to draft the format. I was really good at that format. And I would tell people, you know, if you're green, take Chatter of the Squirrel over Spraying Tiger. If you're red, take Ember Beast over Chain Flinger. And these people, you know, they would be like, you're crazy. You're just trying to, like, mess with our heads or whatever. And I'm just like, no, I just, I wanted everybody, you know, like, I'm not a very, you know, I'm not a thinker like everybody else. I kind of think differently most of the times. And I just wanted people to see things my way. And I wanted to, like, try to teach others, you know, that, yes, you can, you know, you can be successful by doing things that not everybody are doing. And, uh, you know, some of my crazy ideas actually became, you know, somewhat popular at times, which was kind of neat. What was the best game of Magic you've ever played? doesn't have to be a win. Yeah, I was actually about to say that. Um, all right, so the best Magic I ever played was actually a game I lost. It was it was a Rochester draft. It was um, it was the format. It was Mirror Than Block. I would just stream Mirror Than, and uh, um, it was against I want to say against Antoine Royal. And uh, I basically remembered every he was white green. I basically remembered every single one of his tricks because it was Rochester draft. I remember he had a predator strike. I remember he had a turn the dust. I remember he had a it was a two mana card that give protection to a creature. I remember that he had all the you know it was like seven or eight tricks, and I was mana screwed early on, and uh, around one life you know I had one or two life and I had just stabilized the board, but every turn he kept attacking, and every turn I had to play around a trick that he might have or might have not had in his hand. And it was just unbelievable. For seven straight turns, I literally played around the exact trick he had at the time. And 
while I was playing this game, I was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm playing this great game of magic. Like, A, I can't believe I'm remembering all of his tricks. B, I can't remember I actually got them all right. And uh, in the last final turn, I actually, it was probably the best magic game I've ever played, but also the stupidest mistake I've ever made. Um, at the end, of, on the last final turn before I would kill him, I attacked with a creature that had flying or a creature that could block flying. I don't remember exactly. And then on his turn, he killed me like with some creature that I could have just blocked. I basically just attacked with the wrong creature. And, uh, you know, I had two creatures and I just attacked with the wrong one. And uh, I remember being so angry. It's actually a funny story. I was so angry, not because I lost, because I normally don't get angry when I lost. I was so angry because I played such a great game of magic and I literally, the you know, the simplest of decisions, I screwed up. And I was so angry. That I actually... That's the one tournament I ever got disqualified from, and it was because I was so mad that I walked to, like, the corner of this big hall, and I just gave a kick to a chair, because I was just, I mean, I just, I needed to channel out, like, my frustration, and I really never felt that way playing a game of Magic, and, uh, you know, the tournament organizer, um, I forget his name, Chris Galvin, he saw me do that, and he actually banned me from the site, which meant I had to get disqualified from the tournament, and uh, it was like, you know, four rounds to go. I can still, you know, if I win the next two, I make top eight. It was really, really a big blow financially for me. But I was just really mad because, you know, not because, you know, maybe a little bit because I got kicked out of the side, but it was just because, really, I tackled the wrong creature. What is wrong with me? <laughs> That's interesting. I, you look at those stories. Magic has a way of humbling you. It can be, yeah. I almost call magic a tempting mistress because... She can be everything to you at one time, and then three seconds later, it all changes, and she's now, you know, the evil empire in front of you, staring you in the face. How much of the deeper psychology of the game do most people miss? Yeah, like, I, I, I think that people people don't really see, like, I think the best of players, you know, people like, you know, Kai and John and Nasif. Those guys see magic differently than everybody else, you know, and they see, you know, they see every single angle. And, um, but, you know, so, so there's times, you know, where a simpler mind like me, you know, I'm not nearly as smart as those guys, you know, like, yes, sometimes I get those moments of, you know, greatness where I do see everything. But, you know, when you're like concentrating on those great things, sometimes you miss the simple things like I did. And, you know, and, you know, just, and there's more to magic than just playing the game itself. You know, like, there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to get in your opponent's head or to, you know, I'll, I'll tell you like a quick story. There used to be a pro called, uh, uh, Benedict Klauser. He top eight at a bunch of tournaments. He's from Austria. And I was playing against him at a tournament. And I had a card in play called Riding Giant, which is a two mana three three. And uh, basically what it does is whenever he attacks a block, you have to remove a card from your graveyard. Okay? It's a trigger ability that just happens. You know, and if you don't do it, he dies. Okay. So then we're playing, and he raises his hand and calls over a judge. And he goes, hey, judge, I want to ask you a question outside from the table. And, uh, you know, so he gets up from the judge, and he probably asked the judge, like, do you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Who knows what he asked? And the judge just shook his head, you know, and is like, yeah, sure. So he comes back to the table, taps two mana, and plays a card called Stupefying Touch on my creature. Which basically that card says, creatures lose activated abilities. 
Okay. So now, if I don't really think about like what just happened, you know, I can definitely not attack with my creature because he just put, you know, like it looked like he asked the judge, does this card stop that card? He came back with a big smile on his face and played it. Right. But, you know, like I knew luckily how this rule, particular rule worked. So I just attacked him and killed him. And, uh, you know, like for him in that spot, he was trying to use different psychological things, different, you know, different tools outside of the game itself. And I don't per se think that's cheating. I think that's kind of, you know, neat in a sort of way because, you know, he's he's trying to out trick you and, you know, he's not doing it by cheating or anything. It's just it's your responsibility to know the rules. And you see this type of stuff all the time in Magic. It's not just, you know, even if you're not using the judge, you see this stuff all the time, you know, like Finkel in a top eight of a Pro Tour match against Kai, I think, or against somebody, he basically kept fingering his, uh, his, uh, his volcanic island, look, making it look like he always had pyroblasts, and in reality never had it. And, you know, like I think Kai lost his match to him, like, you know, never casting his blue spells because he was scared of this pyroblast. You know, there's just things you can do that, you know, can definitely get in your opponent's head, and, you know, and you're trying to out-trick them in any in any sort of way. Uh, ben Stark at a Grand Prix, I remember when uh, uh, he tapped, he tapped, uh, he's, he, he was playing this Pattern of Rebirth deck, which was like a kind of, like a creature combo deck, and his opponent was playing Tog, Psychotog, and his opponent had two mana. Right, and in that format, the counter spells that this opponent could have are four spike and mana leak with the two mana. So Ben tapped five mana and played a four casting cost spell. His opponent tapped one mana and four spiked it. And Ben's like, "I pay." His opponent's like, "What? You pay? You tapped out?" He's like, "Yeah, I tapped five mana for this four casting cost spell." Well, his opponent had mana leak in his hand. He could have stopped Ben's combo by just casting mana leak. And Ben, you know, he didn't cheat, he didn't do anything wrong. He just, you know, psychologically outtricked his opponent, and I think that's kind of neat. Magic has led you to working for Upper Deck as a game designer. How much fun was it to be a game designer? All right, it's probably the best job you ever had. The problem with being a game designer, all right, so being a game designer is awesome, obviously. You just sit around, in theory, with, you know, really cool, awesome people. You know, I, I worked with Ben Rubin and Ken Ho and Patrick Sullivan uh, Danny Mandel, Dave Humphreys, all these great, you know, old Magic players. And, uh, you know, so that's fun already. You know, you go into office, you go with people that, you know, you get along with and you're, you know, you're, you're playing games all day. What's really cool about being a good designer, you know, you get to, for instance, you know, I don't know if you ever played World of Warcraft. Um, World of Warcraft TCG is basically, we're all a bunch of Magic players who love Magic. And there's a lot of things we love about Magic. And we're like, let's try to make a game that's magic plus get rid of all the things we don't like about magic. Like, for instance, we all hated Mana Flood. I actually prefer Mana Screw over Mana Flood, but I really hate Mana Flood. So we all hated Mana Flood, so we're like, how can we, you know, as a game designer, how can we, you know, get rid of the problem of Mana Flood? And it's like, okay, let's make quests. Let's see if our lands do something else. So when you draw too many of them, you know, something happens. And Magic does that a lot too, you know, they, they, they come up with Kicker as an ability that's in theory to help mana flood. You know, you can cast a spell and it does something little, or you can wait till you have more mana and you can kick it. And they come up with Flashback, which is like this really expensive, you know, secondary effect that the card does later on, or whatever. And, uh, 
And, um, you know, so that's really fun trying to put, you know, your own twist on games. And it's really neat when you see kids playing with your cards and they're really having fun. What sucks about being a game designer, and this is the reason why I left Upper Deck, um, I left Upper Deck before kind of Upper Deck went out of business and, you know, everybody else just got let go. And the reason why I left Upper Deck is because Wizards of the Coast can make a set and the game designers themselves have no idea really how good of a job they did. Okay, the set can sell out, the set can suck, okay? And literally, they could have put the same exact work in it, and the sets could be equally as good. But what's the problem is that, for instance, like, you know, for World of Warcraft, sometimes a set would come out at the wrong time, so the product manager, you know, decided, I'm going to make the set come out right after Christmas or right before Christmas or whatever. Or marketing didn't do a good job marketing the stuff. So you're a big, big team. You know, you have, you know, you have organized play who's supposed to run tournaments and make people play your game. You have this marketing department. You have, you know, this product manager that decides how much the price of each booster is. And you have all these game designers working on the set. And then at the end, even if you did a great, like, put it this way, the sets that I like the least in World of Warcraft all sold out. The sets I like the most did not sell out. Now, does that mean that the ones the ones were better than others? Maybe, I don't know. But like it's like it, there's like so much hidden information that you never really know. And that sucks because you think you know you're working hard, but sometimes you fail and you have no idea why you're failing and it's just, just a shitty uh, crappy feeling. How come the World of Warcraft Championship has a larger payout than the Pro Tour? Well, the first of all, the World uh, Warcraft World Championships is only like that's the one tournament a year. Maybe I think they might have continental championships they give out good prizes to. But, you know, overall, Magic gives out more money. Magic also has a way bigger, a way bigger um, uh, uh, following. Um, basically, the reason why, the reason why they want to give out more money at the World Championship, they, like, I don't know, the first World Championships we ever had at World of Warcraft, we give out, the winner was won $100,000. That was top payout. $100,000. And the reason why they did that is because they wanted the shock. Like, eighth place at that tournament, I think, won less than $10,000. So, like, you know, it jumped really highly. Um, but they wanted the shock to say, bam, well, this person gets $100,000, you know? And uh, that's why they made the payout so big. But, you know, like, World of Warcraft will never be able to compete with Magic. You know, like, Upper Deck, you know, they tried, but... For other reasons, you know, they failed, but Cryptozoic, which is this new company, it's really a bunch of dudes who own it, or, you know, just like me and you, and, you know, like, they just don't have the capital, they don't have the resources to be able to compete with, Ma- I mean, Magic Grand Prix get 2,000 people, you know, like, it's just, it's just crazy, like, you know, how do you compete with that, and, you know, and it looks like it's only growing, so for them, they're in a really rough spot. I think what they need to realize is kind of like, you know, Pixar and Disney, they're not competing with each other. They're just going after, you know, different demographics or whatever. You had a great run at Philly. If you had the time and didn't have the job you have now, would you go back to playing full-time? Yes. If I didn't have the job I had now, I would definitely play more. Uh I actually plan to play more. I lived in Curacao, which is a little island off the coast of Venezuela for the last three years. 
Um, and it was almost impossible to play is a there was no local shops there b you know you're you're working some kind of weird hours and c you know to go anywhere you have to travel very very far um, now that I, I right now I'm living in Italy I'm you know for other for reason for personal reasons my mom's a little bit sick I came and moved here to just take care of her help her through this time uh, you know she can't walk but uh I plan to play more. I plan to maybe hit some PTQs, go to some Grand Prix, and, uh, you know, like if I get the fever, I, you know, I, I definitely got to a point in my job where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I have a stable job. I can take as much time as I want off, you know, like, you know, I don't have, you know, when I first started working at Curacao, I couldn't really be like, I went there while I was still on the gravy train. I couldn't be like, hey, I'm new here. Can I leave for a weekend to go to this pro tour in Japan? You know, you just don't do that. It's not really professional. So, but now I'm in a, in a spot where I can do that. So I'm going to plan to go to more tournaments. When you go to watch Magic, who do you enjoy watching to play? Um, it's tough. I like really watching the Japanese players. Um, Luis Vargas, you know, is great to watch. Um, you know, Ben Stark. I lo- you know, I love watching him during Pro Tour Paris in the top eight. Uh, just players that I know are really good. You know, players that I know will do something so different. I don't know if you know, Nagoya in the top eight, I watched uh, Fujita's draft. Um, and I didn't understand what was going on. And to this day, you know, I'm like, what, what was he thinking? What was he doing? And... Like, maybe we will never be able to understand what he was doing because, you know, their language barrier is so harsh. But, you know, I like watching people like that because they're having success at the highest level doing things that nobody else is doing. And I think that's neat. Your best results were in sealed and booster draft. Do you consider yourself an expert at seal and booster? Um, not really. Um, I was good in draft because... I literally would just pick, like, I'm probably, like, the most, like, non-flexible booster drafter there is. I just, you know, I like a color combination, and I just draft it all the time, like, all the time. And I learn how to draft that color combination the best possible way. And, uh, you know, I think two of my Grand Prix wins were in draft, um, and one wasn't constructed. But the, uh, the, uh, the reason why I was such a bad constructed player it's because I just refuse sometimes to play the best deck. Like, we all knew what the best deck was. Everybody's playing it. And I just refuse to play. I really don't like mirror matches in general, like, you know, in any format. And so I always try to stay shy away from the best deck. And I think that was probably one of the biggest reasons why I didn't have more top eights at Pro Tours. And, you know, like, I have something like two 17th places, two 18th places, two 19th places, a 16th place a bunch of top 32s, and, you know, those are, like, almost like top eights, you know, one extra win or whatever, but I just always refuse to play the best deck, and I think that's really, you know, what was, you know, like that, and, and the reason why I was not really a flexible drafter, I would just kind of, like, you know, in Ravnica, I just learned how to draft five color and just always draft five colors, and in the top eight of that draft of the uh, Proto Prague, you know, if you watch, I could not draft five color because the guy on my right was drafting the five color green deck. So I was forced to draft some blue white deck that I didn't know how to draft. And I made a bunch of bad picks because I just didn't know what to do. And I think that's uh, something bad in my game. 
what does that say about you that you can be this unflexible and yet be so successful? Well, it's a lot. A lot has to do, I think, with you know practice. Um, you know, I watch. I don't know, like somebody like Ben Stark, for instance. Um, he's so talented at magic that he can just not practice. And you know, like for instance, in Paris, I talked to him about this a lot. He's like, he didn't practice at all before Paris. And I think he lost the first two rounds of Paris, or you know, maybe the first, you know, first, or he was one and two in the first three rounds. And he's like, I just got better and better as the day was going on, and I learned how to play my deck and whatever. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I can never do that. Like, I'm not that talented at magic. The reason why I was good at magic is because I practiced a lot. Um, you know, like, you know, my best friend Gerard, he's kind of a lot like me. You know, we're just, we're not that talented of people. We're just. You know, we practice, we put in the work, we know our deck, we know what to do in most scenarios, and we win because we put in the work. Um, but, you know, people that are talented, they're blessed in my mind because, you know, if they just had the patience to practice, like like if you were morph me and Ben Stark into one player, we would be the best player in the world. Because I have, you know, I can put in the hard work, and he has all the skills, you know, all the natural talent. I interviewed Ben, and he said the exact same thing. He said... You know, there's times where I just, I can't get motivated to play Magic. And, and I paused, and I kind of thought to myself, you win, <laughs> and you don't get motivated. And he's like, no, I really, it really takes a lot to get me fired up to go play Magic. And it just blows me away to think about that, that he's so good, and yet he doesn't, it just doesn't drive him like it does for someone like you. Yeah, and there's a lot of people like him. There's a kid named Alex Lieberman. Um, not may, may probably not many people know him, but he was he played in the first Masters back in the day at like age 14. Uh, he won a Grand Prix in Minneapolis by just literally showing up. He played Gift on Given, which is probably the hardest deck to ever play at any tournament, and he just never plays and just picked up a deck. And he's like super naturally talented. Uh, he's you know really really good friend of mine. And if he ever practiced, he would just by far be one of the best Magic players in the world. But he just, you know, he just can't get motivated to play or just prefers to do other things. And, you know, just like, hey, I'm better than everybody else anyways. I'm just going to show up and win. And, you know, like I played with him at a Team Pro Tour, and he never played. It was Champions of Kamigawa. He really never played with any of the cards. And he went undefeated. You know, we came, we came in like 7th or 8th at the Pro Tour. And he went undefeated. And I'm just like, how are you so good? Like, you're reading the cards, like, during the games. It's just, I don't know, some people just have the knack. <laughs> Sorry. That just, it gets me when people say that. It just kind of, kind of baffles but, 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 but it's true, like, you know, and a lot has to do with Ben, you know, like, he finds, you know, Ben is a very competitive person that wants to win. He finds is fired doing other things. You know, Ben plays professional poker, or, you know, he invested in real estate, he does other things that, you know, that motivate him. It's not that, you know, he's not one of those dudes that just sits on the couch and, you know, is just lazy. He's just, you know, he needs to find the right thing to be motivated. Is there one person in Magic that seemed to always beat you? Matt Lindy. Um, it's kind of funny. He also works with me now uh, in Curacao. He's, uh, I don't know, he won Nationals. He won a Pro Tour, I think. Um, he basically... The, t- the ways I lost to him is just absurd. I'm like 0 and 4, 0 and 5 against him, and, and a lot like in top eight of Grand Prix. One time I lost to him 
uh, playing to get into the Masters. He was playing Battle of the Wits. Uh, it's just, it's just always baffles me. He always beats me. And now when I'm on the island in Curacao, uh, like I go there quite often and we cube draft, he also beats me all the time. And I just, I can't understand. He's just, I don't know if he's just so lucky or he understands what I'm going to do every time. I just, I don't know. He just always beats me. Cube has become very, very popular at the tournaments themselves. Uh, a lot of the people that work on the outside of Magic have their own cubes they bring along, and it seems to be becoming wildly popular. Is the cube a good thing for you to satisfy a, ma- a Magic fix? Yeah, like, obviously, like, I don't know. I find cube drafting more fun than regular drafting. But I think it has something to do with cube drafting is more fun because you draft with your friends. You you know, like, I would prefer to do a cube draft over a Magic Online draft any day of the week. And, you know, you're drafting with your friends and you're playing with these powerful cards that normally you wouldn't get to play with. And you're doing, you know, cool things. You know, you can build your Fast Bond Ravnica Lens deck. You can, you know, build your Oath of Druids deck. Like, all these really cool draft decks. And, uh, but I think Cube is just great. Like, you know, it's just you and your friends can sit around and just play Magic. And, and, you know, like, we have, uh, on, on Curacao, the island of Curacao, there's about 40 Magic players, roughly, all old pros. And, you know, we have like five or six cubes and we always switch. And, you know, like five or six different players have their own cube and they're all different somehow. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, we play all the time and we have a lot of fun. And Cube is cool because, because, not only can you draft so many archetypes, usually you have so many cards in the pool that, you know, the drafts don't ever look the same. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's cool. Is it weird because you guys were so good at magic and you're at one place working? Yeah, I mean, like, you have to see that, I mean, all these guys on this island, they still, even though they don't really play magic anymore, and, like, we have all famous proto champions, you know, like, I can say some names like Zvi Morsuis and Kai Bude and Dirk Barbarowski and, you know, Neil Reeves and Mark Herbaholtz and Yelger Wergerzma. I mean, I can go on at William Jensen, Matt Lindy. It's just absurd. Eugene Arvey. I mean, it's just insane. And you can see that they're all living magic still, even though they're not playing magic. You know, they're all reading the coverage every weekend. They all talk about, you know... Ah, look cool, like they're doing this thing that looks like what we did back in the day. And, you know, they all, like, when Modern came out, they all started playing Magic Online and Modern. Um, you know, they're, they're like, you know, it's awesome. They do share stories, you know, mainly it's to make fun of others, you know, like, hey, remember when I beat you so bad? But, um, but no, it's great. It's just, uh, it's cool to have this, you know, this, this community. And it's also because it's easier for the company to hire more Magic players because, like, oh, I'm going to this island, but, like, there's other people there now that I know. And, uh, you know, Magic actually, like, we're so good at our job now because of Magic. Like, our job, you know, Magic teaches you a lot of the skills that are needed for this job. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's pretty awesome. It's, uh, you know, we do all talk about Magic all the time, even though none of us really play anymore. It would be unusual. Let's just say, if something would ever happen there, it would be like you'd be losing a large segment of the history of magic. If yes. like something bizarre would happen on the island. Yeah, of course. 
Hurricane Combs or whatever. All right. When I worked at Upper Deck, and, you know, I mentioned some of the names I worked with, I, I felt that I was like, wow, like we have, you know, we have 3,000 Pro Tour points or whatever sitting in this office. But, like, <laughs> the island of Curacao has the most magic history you can imagine. I mean, we have, like I said, like 40 guys, and every single one of these guys has won a Pro Tour, won a Grand Prix, or top eight at a Pro Tour. It's just absurd. And we even have, actually, not every one of these guys. We even have some magic judges, believe it or not, that work there. We have... We have some players that were just, you know, they were like the PTQ players. They never really did well, but, you know, like, you know, they, they were just friends of friends who we hired. And, uh, no, I mean, the island, you know, like, if if there was ever, like, a magic movie or a magic book that needed to be written, like, you, like the island is a place to go. You know, like, for the first 15 years of Pro Tour, the island has all the history. You know, like, sure, we don't have Luis Car Vargas, but we have pretty much everybody else. You've been in many numerous difficult matches over your career uh, that have been not even spotlighted. Is there a match that you think in the past that maybe should have been a feature match that was ignored completely? I mean, there's a bunch. There's all Feature matches are funny in a certain way. Because, um, like, if you were featured the round before, they won't feature the pre- the future round. So, like, if that makes fun- makes any sense. Uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, this year in Nagoya, I think I was 7-2, and two, and I was playing against the other Paulo Vitor de Rosa. And, uh, you know, I always have this funny thing. Like, when Paulo Vitor started becoming good at Magic, I would always say, man, I can't even be the best de Rosa at Magic anymore. And, uh, and, uh, you know, like I thought, you know, I, I heard the names that got announced for the feature match. I don't even recognize any of them. And I'm like, I don't, we're not featured. And we had some really, really good games. But, you know, like there's been times where I was, you know, I was playing for a Pro Tour Top 8 and I wasn't featured. You know, there was, uh, there's, you know, there's tons of magic, you know, there was, I don't know. One time I was undefeated at Grand Prix playing as Rob Dari, and we had some really epic games. And, you know, like there's just a bunch of, like, you know, when you play thousands thousands of games, you know, I'm level 48, Planeswalker, whatever that means. You know, you're going to miss some games that don't get, you know, the spotlight. It means you don't get the uh, unofficial level 50 title yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Maybe one day I'll be 50. We're not having the island of Curacao scramble to get a uh, wizard site so they can get your placewalker. <laughs> yeah. I could imagine if they had a sanctioned site there, what a Friday night magic would be like. <laughs> yeah. Like, we always joke, like, if we ever get a nationals, our national team would be by far the best. And, you know, that, that's that's obviously true, but uh, I don't know. they got some rule where, like, we're part of the Netherlands, so if we ever want to play Nationals, we have to go to the Netherlands. But that's not going to happen. You have – you are eligible for the Hall of Fame. Yep. What do you think it will take to get people to finally vote you in? Uh, maybe win a Pro Tour. Um, I think if I started playing again and I started doing the same results I did when I played back in the day, I think I could get in. I don't think I have to win a Pro Tour. I don't think I have to top eight Pro Tours. 
I think I just have to go and just do well. Um, I think a couple of years, like, so the year they changed the rule from top five to 40%, I was, I would have been in if they didn't change the rule. Um, I think right now, like, I still get all the, the player votes. I don't get any of the judges' votes and the winners' employees' votes. And that's because I think I don't play. Like, I think, I think Magic is missing, like, they really value top eights. All of these, you know, all the, you know, all the judges and all the Wizards employees. And I think that's wrong. Like, they need to value other things. You know, they need to value Pro Tour points. They need to value Pro Tour winnings. Like, these are things that, these are things that, um, that show you how good you are at Magic, even without top eighting Pro Tours or winning Pro Tours. Like, I will argue that, you know, top 16 a Pro Tour it's just as hard as top eighting a pro tour. You know, like Magic is still a game of like whatever, like luck. And, you know, yes, the best players always win. But there's, you know, like one mana screw, you know, like gets you into 17th place instead of top eight, you know. And it's just, yes, I have no excuse. I played over 50 pro tours and I've only top eighted once. But, uh, but you know, like it's just longevity and, you know, like, I'm like probably in the top 15 or 20 in lifetime winnings and lifetime pro points. I'm 11th or 12th lifetime in, in planeswalker points, whatever that is. Uh, you know, and I have no shot at making it in the Hall of Fame. None whatsoever. And I think that's just wrong. Like, it's just, you know, I played 49 pro tours or 50 pro tours in a row without missing one. And, like, and I know I have no shot for the Pro Tour, and I'm not blaming really anyone, but it's just absurd that, you know, I think there's not many people that were able to do what I did, and I still have no shot to get in the Pro, in the pro Tour Hall of Fame. And that's just, like, kind of sad in a little sore way. What's bothering me about a lot of the things when it comes to the Hall of Fame is there is this gap that's missing of information that people don't get. And therefore, they're not informed completely. Like you just described right there. You're in the top 20 all-time of money earnings. Your record, your win-loss, your finishes in the top 16. In fact, you made 50 Pro Tours in a row. And you did it, and it wasn't a problem. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly what you said. Like, you know, like, like my, all right, my Hall of Fame ballot every year looks like no one others. I think in this year's ballot, the only person I voted for, I think, was Anton that actually made it in. And and it's because, to me, like, you know, yes, Pro Tour top eights, great. Whoever has the most, you know, they're probably really good at Magic. But that's 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 not what Magic should all be about. You know, like, like you know, Magic should be about, you know, like, just, I don't know, just winning a lot and, you know, you you know, people, people, you know, like Justin Gary's, like I said, in the top, probably in the top 15 in Pro Tour all, Pro Tour points all time and money earnings and whatever else. And he has no shot either because maybe he's not well liked or maybe because, you know, he didn't play long enough or whatever. Like, you know, longevity maybe should be worth, you know, should be counted on. There's people like, I don't know if you ever heard of Neil Reeves. No one ever wanted to play against Neil Reeves on the Pro Tour. He was by far the most feared opponent anyone, like, you ask anybody, any American, North American, like, you, would you ever want to play against Neil Reeves? The answer is like, hell no, he's way too good. 
And this guy has no shot at making it in the Portal Hall of Fame, even though, you know, he has this over 100 pro points and whatever else. Because, you know, because he played the Pro Tour four or five years, he was awesome. Then he stopped because, you know, he got a wife and a kid. And it's just, it's wrong. Like, you know, he learned the world, he teach the world how to draft, and he has no shot at making the Pro Tour Hall of Fame. And it's just, you know, it would be nice if the Pro Tour Hall of Fame would be more like, you know, like Sports Hall of Fame. It's like, all right, you know. Like, sports hall of fame is like somebody who is a catcher with worse stats and a first baseman has a better chance of making, and making the hall of fame. I don't know how they should do it in magic, but I think it should be different than it is now. You know, it's like, you know, here's the category for the guy, you know, for that the best three years of all time, you know? And here's the guy who, you know, played out, you know, here's the Lou Gareth of the Pro Tour or whatever, you know, like. Definitely forms a never-ending debate. The fact that there is something not right with the Hall of Fame, because it just seems like unless you're currently in the minds of the people, they don't vote for you. Yeah. Like, Bram, Bram Stephanger only made the Hall of Fame. He deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, okay? Even though I didn't vote for him. But he only made the Hall of Fame because right before the voting, he made top eight of worlds. You know, it's just, that's just the way, like, the Hall of Fame works. And that's bad. Like exactly what you're saying. I, you guys do a lot of MTGO, obviously, because you're on the island. Yeah. MTGO has been great for people that have want to get a lot of magic in. But isn't there something you miss as a player because you don't get that physical, visual interaction with a player? Yes. Um, even something is silly. All right. When uh, when M- MTGO first came out, uh, um, when Magic Online first came out, I thought I I didn't play. This is, you know, back in, like, Odyssey and whatever, whatever other stuff after Odyssey. I didn't play Magic Online, and, and I thought I was a better player because of it. Even silly things like looking up at a screen instead of looking down at the table, you kind of see the game in a different way. And, uh, and uh, but I, I, I think nowadays, if you don't play Magic Online, you can't actually compete. Because that's the only way you can get so many games in such a fast amount of time and you can just always have good competition. You know, like, unless you live with a bunch of other pros, if you don't have Magic Online, you cannot compete. And I wish it wasn't that way, because, you know, like, these days, you know, like, if you just have some creative, you know, deck, like, you probably win the tournament. But nowadays, like, that creative deck, if you play on Magic Online, everybody gets it within a day, and you don't win the tournament anymore. And it was funny, like, at Protor Nagoya... Uh, me and Marco Boltz are the people that came up with the Pure Steel Paladin deck. And I played it on Magic Online a lot. And I was so surprised. Now one person copied it. Now one person thought it was good. And, you know, the Pro Tour winner of Nagoya played my deck. The guy who copied it, uh, Pat Cox, he played my deck. And, uh, you know, me and Billy P, we both, you know, top 40 with that deck. And uh, it's just... You have to play Magic Online to be able to compete because that's the only way you got to get that many games in. Does it come to a point that you guys have to do this with yourselves so it doesn't get out? Like you have to literally play test those kind of decks amongst your group so it doesn't leak? Yeah, you have to do that. Um, you know, like uh, I went to Nagoya just for fun, pure fun. I did not care one bit. So I was playing in queues because I wasn't really testing with anybody. I was just testing... It was like me and Mark. Mark wasn't even going. He was only testing with me to help. So I just, you know, just played by myself. I was playing on Magic Online. And uh, when I got to the Pro Tour, 
basically I was playing as my Billy Pew, you know, Billy Postwith is like one of my really good friends, and I kept beating him over and over and over. And like even he didn't realize my deck was good. And he just kept losing and kept losing and kept losing. And then Sharfman and Packox were sitting in the room watching, and they're like, maybe this deck is good. And then they kept playing against it, and they can never beat it. So they're like, all right, I guess we play it. But, you know, most of the times, like, I think if you have a good deck, you do not want to play on Magic Online. You want to play among your friends, you know, kind of like what Channel Fire Bro does. You know, they go to some house and play, and, and you know, test before the Pro Tour, but they test on Magic Online among themselves. Because if you look at Magic Online in the casual room, you'll see, you know, Ryan Kibler versus LSV, Ben Stark versus, you know, David Ochoa or whatever. And uh, that's what you have to do. You guys said you look at the decks that have been going out there now, that are currently being played. There's now, there's a full month between now and Worlds. Wolf Run seems to be the preeminent deck right now. Yep. Do you think it will still be the best deck when it comes to Worlds? No way. It's just, no. It's just, alright, so, so the reason why Claw Blade was always the best deck because, you know, Stoneforge and Jace are just too good of cards. You know, Wolf Run's pretty fair deck. There will be a strategy that will be, that will be better than that deck that the pros will come up with. I promise you that. You know, like, yes, maybe some some guy will make top eight with this deck, or maybe two guys, but, you know, there'll be something that will be better. There'll be a group that will come up with a better deck, 100%. Because that deck just, is just a green deck that ramps. Like, we've seen those decks all the time. You speak of decks. Did you have a favorite deck you used to like to play in the past? Like, if I could tell you right now, I could give you one game of Magic with, any deck you've ever played in the past that you could play right now against any deck, what would it be? Blue Green Madness. <laughs> and uh, it's basically the deck that whenever it was legal, I always played it. And I don't know what it was. I just, you know, Wild Mongrel is probably my favorite creature of all time. Um, it was just a good deck. It was an aggressive deck. It was fast. But I also had the control elements. I had counter spells. Uh, you know, like sometimes I would play it with Mana Leak and Circle Logic. Sometimes you make it more aggressive and play, you know, like Pump Spells. Or sometimes you play with Quiet Speculation. You had just a lot of tools. And you just had Wild Mongrel, Arrogant Worm, which is like probably one of the best draws that current Type 2 decks at the time could get. And it was just, I don't know, it was fun. All your creatures were kind of like instants. You know, because you could play Arrogant Worm end of turn or Basking Ruwala. Your card advantage, which... You know, I'm an aggressive player, but I also like card advantage. You know, careful studying is in the basking rule walls was neat. You know, you had a lot of cool cards. I've said this before, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, that because people like yourself and William Jensen and Kai and um, John and Zeev can't make these tournaments, that it's almost like Magic is missing something. They don't have as many of the great past players there as they should. Do you think it takes something away from the game that, like, you guys can't be as at many Pro Tours as we would think you'd be at? No. I mean, it would be great to have these people around, but without these people around, there's other greats that you guys have. You know, you have the Martin Juzas and the Ben Stark and the Luis Carvargas and the Brand Nelson and the Paulo Vitor. I mean, Magic is great because you have a lot of great players. And Magic, the Pro Tour, yes, would be better if all these players would be at but don't think the Pro Tour is any less because, I mean, it's just as good and there's just as good of players. They used to have that Masters series. 
Yep. And it wasn't profitable for Wizards. Nope. It's a lot of fun for the people that played it. Yep. Is there a way of bringing that back and making it profitable for Wizards? It's tough. Uh, I think it could be profitable for Wizards, but they probably just don't see a reason to do it because they're already making so much money doing other things. But, um, no, I think it'll be tough. Um, yeah, like, like the problem with, the problem with the Masters was that basically, uh, no one would practice for the Pro Tour because they were practicing for the Masters because it was like more valuable to win a Masters match than to win five or six Pro Tour matches. So, so basically, whenever somebody did well at the Masters, they would just not do well at the Pro Tour because they, it was impossible to, like, you know, practice for both events. So, uh, it seems tough. I don't think so. Is there any other goal you have in Magic left for you to do? Uh, yeah, I want to win a Pro Tour really badly. Um, that's really, I mean, I guess there's two things I want to do. I want to win a Pro Tour really badly, and I would like to be an, an Italian national champion. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, I just want to show the people that for one weekend, I still got it, and I'm the best there is. And that's really what winning a Pro Tour is all about. Yeah, winning a Grand Prix is the same thing, kind of, but just winning the Pro Tour with everybody there, I, I just, I like, I love the idea of just saying, you know, I'm the best, and, you know, like, I'm better than everybody else this weekend, and that's what I want to do. And I will do that. I, I promise I will win a Pro Tour before my end of life or whatever. That's that's something definitely to look forward to. You talk about having more of an aggressive schedule next year because your job now is allowing you to be a little more flexible. You talked before we started about GP Orlando. Where yep. else are you planning to go? Uh, well, I'm going to take it you know, month by month, but I'm probably going to go to GP Orlando. Um, I'm going to try to be a pro Toronto Lulu if I can somehow qualify. Um, and I'm going to go to some PPQs in Italy. Hopefully they're not too tough. And uh, I'll probably go to Grand Prix Turin, and I saw there's Grand Prix uh, Madrid that I'll probably go to. I'll probably go to some amount of uh, Grand Prix in Europe. It also depends, since I work on the NBA, it also depends if the NBA stays on strike, then I have more time to travel. So we'll see. How difficult is that for you and your job that the NBA is on strike? Well, I mean, we, you know, we, do, we, we offer all kinds of sports, but... For me itself, like, you know, I try to find other work to do, but sometimes it's kind of tough. But, you know, it's kind of nice to take a break. What is it about the NBA that works so well with what you do? Um, it's just, so, I don't know, we work for a betting website. Yep. Um, basically, you know, we just, we work the odds. And sports betting is a lot like playing games. Because basically you're trying to predict what the betters are going to do and you're trying to react, you know, how to try to, you know, maximize profits, kind of. So basically it's just a game of like going back and forth, like trying to predict what the betters will do and then I will do something. There's like a metagame type of thing and then they, the betters will realize that I do a certain thing and then they will change what they do and then I have to preemptively, you know, figure out what they're going to do next. It's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of like a booster draft of some sort. Like you want to recognize patterns. It's kind of like kind of like that. Do you watch a lot of the NBA then, or are you just yes, so- yes? No, I watch a lot of the NBA. I love the NBA. Is it a problem <laughs> of do you let your love for the game or maybe an individual team get in the way of what you do? 
Uh, no, but uh, and that's really bad if you do that. So I don't I don't root for any team. I don't think anybody is better than other teams. Uh, I just you know like you can't you can't use your own personal opinions to you know to do to do your job. You have to kind of do what the company wants you to do. Some of the guys on Twitter regularly do pro tour fantasy drafts. Yep. Have you guys on the island done the same thing with the Pro Tour Worlds? Yes, not all, no, not Worlds, but we've done it in the past. Right now I'm not on the island, so I really don't know what they're doing. But not only have we done that in the past, we make Pro Tour odds and we bet against each other. We, we bet certain games, like, you know, like, especially the ones that are televised. We're like, oh, like, I don't know, I bet a lot of money on Ben Stark against Paul Reitzel in the top four. Uh, of, or in the finals of the Pro Tour, it's really, you know, we just try to make fun, have fun, you know, and we do a lot of that. Like, you know, we'll see a top eight of the Pro Tour, and I'll be like, hey, I'll give you, you know, eight to one odds that this person will win or whatever, you know. That has to be a lot of fun with you guys because you know how Magic's played, and especially in your case, like if it's Ben Stark, it's like, hey, I know how Ben rolls. This is how it's going to work. He should do X, Y, and Z. This is why I expect him to win. No, but I actually, I was, I got basically BDM kept talking about how Ben Stark could not win, could not win the top format or the finals against Paul Reitzel, and Paul Reitzel was so you know favored, and uh, Eugene Harvey was watching the same cast I was watching, so. When I offered Eugene Harvey like the bet, I'm like, I'll give you the best straight up because I think Ben can't lose. Uh, you know, Eugene kind of jumped on the, on it because he thought, wow, Paul Reitzel can't lose. Well, you know, I'm getting even odds. Great. But obviously, you know, I was right. You've been at Pro Tours watching finals and is it hard to be there and not want to be in the seat? Sure. But you know, if you're rooting for somebody and you're having fun watching, then, it's okay. Like, sure, you want to be there, but, you know, like, to me, watching Ben win the Pro Tour was just as satisfying, probably, as me making top eight of a Pro Tour, you know, like, because, you know, he's a friend of mine, and it was awesome watching him win. Is there anything else you would like to add to the show here at the end to let people know more about you? Well, just, just like, I think I, I proud myself in saying I'm, like, you know, like, I'm probably, like, the coolest and funnest person to play against at the Pro Tour. I just want people out there to know that, like, Magic Pros are cool, you know, they're not dicks, and the Magic Pros is fun, you know, and when you finally, you know, if you're a listener and you finally get to a Magic Pro Tour, act cool and have fun. That's why you should go there, you know, like, I played so many times against a first-timer who was, like, you know, trying to rules war me or trying to, like, you know, just, like, act like a jerk. And, uh, just like another thing I kind of want to say is like, yes, enjoy magic, put in all the time you want into magic, but you know, don't make magic become your life. You know, like I, I always preach this to like some of the kids, you know, like some of the people are just magic is everything they got and magic is awesome. And you know, you should devote a lot of time with it if you enjoy it, but you know, just realize that there's a lot more to life than magic. Yourself. You just said this, and I just did an interview with Brad Nelson, and yeah. Brad said the same thing. Don't make this your life. Make it a part of your life, but don't make it your life. Yeah, just just enjoy life. Enjoy, like, the things that magic teaches you. You know, don't, 
you know, it's not your life. It's like, just enjoy it. If there's anything you can, I want people to get from this is that it's provided so many opportunities for so many people to enjoy, like in your case, the ability to do card design and now work at Pinnacle and be able to continue to use all the things that Magic has given you yep. for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's not even just my jobs. It's just the way I'm as a person, I think a lot has to do because of Magic. You know, like... The way, like, you know, I was, I was just some kid, like, didn't even speak English, who didn't know how to interact with people, you know, and like, I didn't know anything about other countries and whatever. And now, like, everything I am is because of magic, and that's cool. But I also realize, you know, sometimes when, you know, I miss Pro Tours because of a family event, or I miss a Grand Prix because of prom, or whatever, like, magic is not your life. Just enjoy it, and that's it. Thank you for listening to The Men of Magic. You can contact me at themenomagic at gmail.com. On Twitter under The Men of Magic or my personal account, The Beamy, this is Robert Martin, and again, thank you for listening.